Hear the holy roar of God resound. Watch the waters part before us now. Yes, Lord. And come and see what he has done for us. And tell the world of his great love. Our God is a God who saves. Oh, yes, he does. Our God is a God who saves. Oh, let God arise. Oh, yes, our church will stand, and the church will stand, she will endure. Hallelujah. Because he holds the keys of life, our Lord, death has no sting, no final word. Our God is a God who saves. Oh, yes, he does. Our God. Promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, 
I just pray right now with outstretched arms that we will just soak in what you have for us today, Lord. There's many of us that are in this place and we're just tired of it all. Father God, right now we just need your touch. Frustrated with it all, we just need your touch. People listening online that are still weary about coming to church, they just need to be right there in your presence right now, Father God. So I just pray that your manifest presence just come into that home right now. Come into that family right now as it's coming into this church, Father God. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that we can rely on you. We thank you that we can soak you up. We thank you that we can come as, as corporately as believers and, and give you our praise as you pour out your presence and say, as I was, so will I be. We thank you for that today, Lord. And as we dive into the Word of God, I just pray, Lord, that you would show us some things, that you would touch us today in a way that we've never been touched, to illuminate us today that we've never been illuminated, give us revelation today even deeper than before. We're going to be careful to follow you, obey you, and heed your Word to be better as a family, to be better as people, to be better for this community. So have your way in this place. And it's in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen and amen. You may be seated in God's presence. So good to see you, Rudy and Rachel. How are you? Amen. Cheryl, good to see you. Terry, good to see you. Kylie, Trevor, those precious babies back there, good to see y'all. Amen. Good to see y'all all the way back. All the way back. There's, there's, there he is. He's like, I'm here too. Your wife was here last week, so it was like as if you were here. Amen. <laughs> oh, Louie, Louie, Louie. Amen. Hey, we got some something exciting to share with you. Um, it's amazing because like I've told you, every... Wednesday, uh, all the panhandle pastors get together and we get to hear from all the experts and medical advisors and all that good jazz. But one of the things that it's doing is it's, it's really brought us together more than probably ever. I mean, since I've been here, I've been here, I don't even know how long, good gracious, um, a long time, I guess now, seven, eight, nine, let's just call it a hundred years, um, feels, feels like that. Um, but you, we've never seen churches unite. We've tried to get churches to unite, but they never could unite on anything. Uh, so through this, me, Pastor Tyson, and John Muhallen at Westway really have a heart for that, probably more than anybody else. So we really pushed in these meetings to begin to formulate that, and God has done something spectacular. On Friday the 29th from 10 to 2, um, we were able to acquire a Convoy of Hope truck for absolutely free. Yes. And on that truck will be boxes of uh, already prepackaged vegetables. Now, we're not asking any of y'all to help because it's only the senior pastors that are uniting from all of these churches, and we will be giving that away It'll be at Paul Reed's uh, construction parking lot from 10 to 2 on Friday. If you're in need of vegetables, come on by and grab you some. Or if you know somebody that is in need of vegetables, please start posting that as we post that on our online platforms to let people know. But to me, it's a God thing. We've even convinced all the pastors to wear a shirt that says hashtag one church. And to get churches to do that, especially with denominational differences, is really an act of God, if you would. So, so uh, yeah. So we're believing that that will spark a movement for further things, even after all of this has passed. Uh, so today, uh, you know, I want you to just go ahead and turn your Bibles to Mark chapter eight, and also just on this Memorial Day weekend, keep your focus 
of what it is of those that died for us to have the very freedoms that we have. I know there are conspiracy theorists that think that's being tried to take it away, but God bless the ones that fought for it, and I'm believing for continued freedom in America. Amen? So that's why you see the flags out. is just our way of celebrating that and honoring those that have served and, and are still alive and have, have made it through. But I know some of you have lost some brothers and sisters that, that served alongside of you, and we're very grateful for the freedom that you've given us. Today, you know, I, I think this message, whew, I mean, to me, I, I like it. Y'all may not. Um, it, it's not. It's not convicting in any way. I mean, it, it'll convict you, but I just want to challenge you today. Uh, this is not a Northfield Church thing. This is the Church of America thing. And I know some people don't like me preaching about the Church of America, but we seriously have problems, and I'm seeing it now uh, more than ever. Uh, because today, I mean, let's just admit it, we're dealing with things that we've never had to deal with before. And the problem is, is I'm seeing reactions that I've never seen before. I mean, I'm 47 years old, some of you are older than I. You're seeing reactions that you've never seen before. We're actually living today in a world where people can take any situation, turn it into something, and proclaim it to be true. Even though it could be a lie, conspiracy, or propaganda, but they will claim it to be true. And as your pastor, I am absolutely fine with disagreeing with people. I've learned that I can still love you, but disagree with you. But what I'm finding in our day is now, if you disagree with my truth and my point, then I become disrespectful to you. And I could expect that from the world, but it's creeping into the church. And, and it's bothersome to me. And the whole world is changing before our eyes. And it's very clear to me, and it's been clear to you for quite some time, that we live in a blind world. A blind world. Living in a blind world brings all kinds of adversities more than the situation itself. The situation's bad enough, but you take a blind world on top of that, now it's really creating some problems. But my, my problem today is, is we're living in a blind world, and, and, and I'm finding in this time that we're also experiencing a blurred church. A blurred church is a church that longs for shallow teaching. It doesn't want to dive into the deep things of God and, and study the infallible Word of God and find the truth of the Word of God, which in turns begins to create a body of believers that when we, they leave the building, since it's so shallow, they act just like the blind world. And it's a scary thing to have a blind world and a blurred church mixed together because that's not how God designed it to be. So I know I've picked a rather unusual passage of Scripture to explain my point today of what God showed me, but turn with me to Mark chapter 8. I know there's some of you that actually mark in your Bible that pastor preached on this. You will find I've preached on this before. I'm going to preach on it again, but not in the same way. Mark chapter 8, let's look at verse 23, starting there. We'll go down to 31. If you have your Bibles on Facebook, Mark chapter 8, 23 through 31. We're so glad you've joined us. The Bible says he, Jesus, took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Now, I think when I preached that, I stopped there. But God told me to go further. Because the Bible says Jesus and his disciples went on to a village around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked, who do people say that I am? 
They replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say the prophet. But, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Some version says you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look what Jesus said. Jesus uh, uh, warned them not to tell anyone about that. He then began to teach them. Now watch this. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days he will rise again. This is thick. Thicker than I thought when I first looked at it. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, may we receive the revelation of the word today. I pray that it's not shallow. I pray that it's deep. I pray that it challenges us all. And that we walk out of here changed like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was seeking the Lord of what he would want to tell you today. He brought me back to this passage, and, and, and rarely has this happened. And, and, and it was a, he brought me back to the scripture. He brought me back to the message that I, I wrote. And, and, and I looked at this, and as I came to the text, I, I had to empty myself. I literally had to empty myself of what he had previously shown me and allow God to show me something new that I didn't see before. And I would encourage you as a Bible reader, as a student of the Bible, is you always have to come readying yourself at the feet of the master just like a child ready to receive something new because his revelation is endless. If you get a preconceived notion about something and you stay stuck there, I pray for you because, because God can show you some new things. Amen? So as he began to teach me again, when I looked at this text, it wasn't just about the blind man in this text. This whole entire text is full of blindness. It's not just the man that was blind. When you look deep at the text, you see that he came from a city that was blind. The city of Bethsaida is a representation of the world that we are living in today. Bethsaida was a blind city, void of truth, void of revelation, full of doubt, full of degradation, full of darkness. Bethsaida, after all, was the city that Jesus cried out against and he said, Woe to you, Bethsaida. Anytime Jesus says, Woe to you, you better get on your knees. Not a good deal when Jesus says, whoa, okay? It's a good deal when he says, go, because he's calling you. But when he says, whoa, it's like he's about to cut you off. Because he says, for if the miracles that were performed in you were performed in the day of Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes. So what you've got to understand is Jesus hung around Bethsaida and did miracle after miracle after miracle in Bethsaida and this blind city, everybody say blind, on Facebook type blind, in this blind city they did not repent. So here is a blind man. The text is written on the tapestry. The text is written on the background of an entire blind city. And if we go deeper, watch this. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people, the outsiders, not within my circle, but who do people say that I am? Watch what they say. John the Baptist. Elijah. The prophets. Do you see how blind they are? If you don't, understand this. People in biblical days were walking around in the very presence of Jesus Christ. The very presence of Jesus Christ, seeing miracles, signs and wonders. They weren't like us that we had to go to the Word of God, read the Word of God, and then let faith arise and either accept it or deny it. No, they were seeing it. Yet they were mistaking the Creator for the creature. Do you see it? 
Some say you're a creation, John the Baptist. Some say you're the creation, Elijah. Some say you're the creation, the prophets. I mean, how in the world could you insult Jesus like that? He made Elijah. He made John the Baptist. He made the prophets. How can you confuse the clay with the potter? Do you see the blindness? If you do, say amen. Can I go a little bit deeper? I want you to see some more blindness. Because not only did he say, who do people say that I am? Now he's talking to his homeboys. He's talking to the ones that ministered with him. He says, who do you say that I am? And pastors are so quick to run to Peter. We rush to Peter. After all, Peter had the phenomenal answer. But when we rush to Peter, what we bypass is the blurred church. Where do you see the blurred church, Pastor? It is so easy. Eleven of the disciples were silent. Absolutely silent. And I would suggest to you that the silence of the eleven screams louder than the answer of the one. Because when you see the silence of the eleven, how could you walk with Jesus and not at a minimum perceive who he was? So today I'm telling you, I am completely and totally embarrassed of a silent, blurred church more than I am of a confused, blind world. Are you with me? And I'm not coming after you. What you don't know is I'm a student of leadership. I look at things. I read things. I observe things. I try to evaluate the times that we're in. And when I see the blind world, kudos to you because at least you have formed an opinion about Jesus. The world is vocal about Jesus, but the believers of Jesus Christ are sitting about back silent. And you would think that in these chaotic times, you would take this opportunity to point people to Jesus. That's why I was so excited when Deb Gardner Facebooked me, told me, I'm so glad you have Who's Your One up there because it reminded me of my one. Mandy Gentry's not here, but if you're listening on Facebook, I am so proud of you because last week it brought back to your remembrance the one that you've been praying for. So proud of Angela as they've invited their one that are back there today. They are not being silent about Jesus. But in this time, it's revealing how blurred the church is. Because the blurred church is looking like the blind world. And what we're doing is we're adopting the philosophies of the world. And when we adopt the philosophies of the world, guess what we do next? We air our disgruntlement about it. And then we argue as believers on Facebook over articles and propaganda that we don't even know the truth yet because not a single one of you have a Ph.D., you don't know. Amen. I know you think you know, but you don't know. So I have a problem with the silence of the 11. It troubles me in this text, and it troubles me in our times. A blind world who cannot make up their mind about who Jesus is. Then you have a blind world that has made up its mind about who Jesus is, and they're being vocal about it, and the 11 stand silent and have no opinion. And you know what this shows me? It shows me that today, in the church, there can be believers in Jesus, but they are blurred, they are numb, they are indifferent, and they're apathetic. And I think if Jesus were here, standing next to me, I could tell Jesus, I think I know what you would say because my mind runs to the book of Revelation. I know your deeds, that they're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either hot or cold, but since you're lukewarm, I've decided to spew you out of my mouth. 
And what Jesus is saying to a blurred church, I would rather you either hate me or love me. But don't go flat on me in these times. Make up your mind about me. Stop walking around today silent about me. So what I'm concerned about is this whole online thing in this social distance thing is creating a storm for a blind church to live in and amongst a, 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 a blind world to live in and amongst a blurred church. Are you seeing it? The silence of the blurred church shows me that we want his fish. We want his bread, John. We want his gifts, Louis. But we can't make up our mind about where we stand with it. Whose side am I truly on? Will I take the stand? I mean, I wonder how can a blurred church continue to sit silent at his table, eat his bread, drink his cup, sit silent and not go out and be a witness to a blind world? How long can a blurred church come and eat but walk out the doors and stay completely silent about who he is? So I'm calling on this family. I don't know about what all the other families are doing, but I'm calling on this family. It is time, in this time, break your silence and become a witness like never before. Can you give him praise? Jesus don't need no silent friends. He, he don't need no silent family. He doesn't need no silent uh, uh, supporters. Don't live in secret. If you're going to live with him and love him, come out of the closet, baby. Come out, come out, wherever you are. I'm preaching better than y'all are clapping. Let's go a little bit deeper. So we're in and amongst this blind world. We're seeing this blurred church. And in an amazing moment, we see the best of the best in the blurred church. Now don't miss this. The best of the best in the blurred church is Peter. He says, you're Christ, the son of the living God. I mean, that's amazing. The, one, the, the most amazing moments in the Bible. Because in another gospel, what you got to understand, it wasn't written in our text, but in another gospel, Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. Do not miss the importance of that. When Jesus said, but my Father in heaven, Peter knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter knew that he was Christos. Peter knew that he was the anointed one. Peter knew that he was the savior of Israel. And Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven to me. That is amazing. Why is that amazing? How did Peter have direct contact with the Father before the cross? Have you ever thought about that? How did Peter have direct contact before the cross? That means that Peter learned how to step into the Spirit, receive divine revelation from God Almighty before Jesus ever went to the cross. No wonder Jesus said in another text, and I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock, not the rock of his name, but the rock of revelation, the rock of getting in the Spirit, the rock of the Holy Spirit's illumination, upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of Hades cannot overcome it. And what God needs in his church now more than ever is, is men and women who want to walk in the Spirit and get direct revelation from the Father. And that's who we need to be as a church. Are you hearing me? Upon that rock, I'll build my church. So I see the heavens have opened up for Peter. I saw the heavens open up on, on the cross of Calvary. 
I know the heavens opened up when they pierced his side and pierced his flesh. And at that exact moment when they ripped him, it ripped the veil from top to bottom. It also opened up the heavens between death and between life. And here comes these dead people walking around in Jerusalem. And as a believer today, you have to understand that when he died on the cross of Calvary and shed his blood, he opened some stuff up for you. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way I am the truth I am the life and no one comes to the father except through me what Jesus is saying to you I will make a way where there seems to be no way if I gotta rip some things open if I gotta pull back the veil before I let you miss it I will rip it open for you just to give you access to my spirit so that you can receive my revelation. And again, I call on y'all. That's who we need to be. Does anybody here have an access card? What? You got an access card. I got something better than Discovery, Visa, American Express. I got a card that says the blood of Jesus, baby. Under that blood, it says, in the name, in the name of Jesus. I said, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, things can be ripped open for me. In the name of Jesus, I can come to this, and he can illuminate my spirit to the deep things of God, and I can be walking in the spirit and not gratifying the desires of the flesh. I can be who he's called me to be. In the name of Jesus. And I declare to you today, since he opened some stuff up for us, it's time for you to open up Jesus to a blind world. So I want you to see, I want you to see this blind man living in a blind world, coming near Jesus and the disciples in the midst of a blurred church. The blindness and the blurriness is like, oh, so overwhelming in this story. And I'm going to have to admit to you, I preached this before. And I don't know if you remember it, but, but I talked to you about the touch of the blind man and how Jesus spit on his ground and put it in his eyes. And talked to you about how that touch didn't do. and He touched him again. and I think I titled it The Finishing Touch or The Carpenter's Touch or, or whatever. But when I preached this, I'll have to admit I miscounted. I'm just going to be real with you. I miscounted what I considered the first touch was really the second touch. Because when I read it again, the Bible says they brought the man to Jesus for him to heal the blind man. Everybody say blind man. He was from a blind world. Say blind world. So we have a blind man from a blind world of Bethsaida, they brought him to Jesus for Jesus to heal him. And the scripture says, and Jesus took him by the hand, first touch. Took him by the hand, first touch. Now watch this, watch this, because this is, you got to get this, you got to get this. Jesus took him by the hand, first touch, and nothing about the blindness changed. Can you believe that? We got a woman with an issue of blood, touches him, bam, healed. First touch, nothing happened. First touch, no what do you do, church? What do you do when you know that you've given your life to Christ? You know that Jesus has touched you, but nothing about your attitude, condition, or behavior has changed. I came to you, Jesus. This little southern preacher was preaching. I felt the spirit of God. I gave my life to you because I was looking around the church and other people that you were touching could see. I was expecting when I came to you, my condition, my attitude, my behavior, my life would get better, but it's not. Because when Jesus took him by the hand, don't miss it. What did Jesus do? I'm leading you out of the blind world. Though his condition remained the same, 
Now what do we got? I'm taking you out of the world. Now I got relationship. Everybody say relationship. And sometimes, church, the storm may still rage, but I got Jesus. I'm in a relationship. The wind may still blow, but he's got me by the hand. I'm in a relationship. My body may not get healed, but he's got me by the hand. I'm still in a relationship. I may still have the same crotchety, old nasty attitude, but baby, at least I got a relationship. Can you say relationship? So watch this, watch this, watch this. The first touch was not to heal him. The first touch was to bring him out of the blind world. A blind world that was full of doubt, degradation, and destruction. And that's what God did with you when you first came to him. But you want to know why we still have a blurred church? Because we love to go back into Bethsaida. Brad, we love to hang around the blind world and act just like the blind world. Because the blind world is so tempting to me. So we end up with a blurred church. And I've told you before that God's good seed has to be planted in good soil. God cannot plant his seed in bad ground. Prove it. I just did. He said, you've got good soil, but I've got to take you out of the blind world because it's bad ground full of doubt, degradation, and destruction. Now notice with me, God's still got a grip on him. So here's the challenge we face. When you first come out of the blind world, can you follow Jesus in the dark? Can you follow Jesus when you don't have enough illumination of the world, uh, the word but you're still coming to church to try to get it. You're still studying it, but frustrated. Nothing's making sense to you. Nothing's changing. Can you still walk by faith? Can you still be faithful, but nothing's changing? Will you still be with him, though you can't see the fullness of your future? Because last week I told you God's got you, right? And you'll notice in this text, that it does not say that the blind man took Jesus by the hand. The text says that Jesus took it. Why doesn't it say the blind man took him by the hand? Because the blind man's grip can be broken. But when Jesus truly takes you by the hand and leads you out of the blind world, baby, that grip can't be broken. Now, your grip can be unfaithful. Your grip can be disobedient. But guess what? His grip ain't going to be broken. Can you say hallelujah? My grip will slip. My grip will slip. But when he's truly got you, it ain't going to be broken. So what I should have seen is first touch, second touch, third touch. Because everything in the kingdom is in threes. It's a principle. Let us make man, man, body, soul, and spirit. In our image, image, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Let's build a tabernacle, outer court, inner court, holy of holies. It's all in threes. I should have seen it. What in the world was I thinking? But then God showed me, first touch pulls you out of the blind world away from the world system and in my blindness I gotta renew my mind where I can start seeing are you seeing it when he brings me out of the blind world I gotta renew my mind according to the Word of God to get away from the worldly philosophies will I be faithful doing that as I'm in darkness and a little bit of light a little bit of light a little bit of light keeps coming I gotta get away from the ideologies. I gotta get away from the world system that's trying to come on you now more than ever before. Will I be faithful diving in to where more light and illumination can come? So we have a situation today, and I'm going to be real with you, is what happens is God pulls people out of blindness. Because why? They come to church and they're in a tragedy. So they give their self to God in an emotional moment. He pulls you out of tragedy, but they never dive into this. 
They come, crisis Christians. They come in calamities. They come in crisis. They give their life to Jesus, but they never dive into this. So what do they do? They stay blind. They stay blind to a God that preserves them. Blind to a God that holds them like he holds time in his hand. Blind to a God that still separates dark from lightness each and every day. I don't know if you noticed it, but it's still happening. A God that keeps this earth spinning on its axis. A God that keeps your heartbeat regulated when you're asleep and you don't even know that it's beating. A God that is there and they're still blind to him. Jesus pulls this blind guy out of a blind world, but the man is still blind. So watch this. Don't miss this. Jesus touched him again, and Jesus says, what do you see? Don't miss this. What do you see? Because what you see, Rudy, every touch has a test. Every touch has a test. First touch, I'm going to grab you. I'm going to pull you out of the blind world. You're going to have to follow me in the darkness. You don't know all of the word of God, so you're just going to have to trust me and have faith in me. And will you run back to Bethsaida? Or will you hang with me? First touch, first test. Are you seeing it? You cannot enjoy his touch if you're not willing to pass the test. Because every touch has a test. You give your life to God, guess what? Hello, wake up, you come to church, you hear from the word of God, and guess what? That's a touch, that's a test. You thought I was up here to entertain you. Church is not for your entertainment, it's a test. And it certainly ain't for my health in these times, it's a test. Are you hearing me? So the test comes when I preach the word of God. Will you keep following him under the conviction and change your life and go from better to better to better? Are you hearing me? Because you cannot hear the word of God on Sunday and not be tested. I know some of you don't like it and you're squirming in your seats right now, but it's a touch, not from me, from the Holy Spirit, and it's a test. Jesus touched him, tested him. What do you see? And the man says, now, watch this, I see people, but they look like trees, Bobby. They look like trees. So now he's in relationship, but now he's part of the blurred church. Second touch, and he's still blurred. Some of you are in a relationship with God, but still blurred. So blurry that if we study it, because we read it, we go down a couple of verses, and I can tell you they're blurred because they were in relationship with him. So blurred that when you read further, the disciples didn't even realize that Jesus was going to have to go to a cross made out of a wooden tree and die on it because Jesus is having to explain it. They're still blurred. Are you with me? So what we're seeing is a whole bunch of blurredness. Jesus is surrounded by people that are so blurred, the disciples are so blurred, that they could see a man, Jesus, but they couldn't see the cross. And then you have another man, blurred, he could see men, but he could see them walking around like trees. That's a whole other message in and of itself, I think. So we got a lot of blurredness. And as the musicians come, And I got a long close. And you can only go out these two doors and you're trapped. <laughs> we haven't opened them yet. Listen to me. A blurred church is a dichotomy. A dichotomy. Because there's two conditions and not either one. We're not yet sighted, but not yet fully blind. And we have just enough sight that we're not blind, and just enough blurredness that we're not fully sighted, 
So we're in this dichotomy. And in the blurred church, I told you the best representation was Peter, but when I looked a little bit further, he was blurred too. He was blurred too, church, because guess what? He tried to stop the man from going to the cross. How in the world could he see Jesus, the Christos, the anointed one, but not see the cross? He was blurred. The best of the best of them was in a blurred state. When it came to the blindness of the cross, look what Jesus said. Get thee behind me, Satan. Called Peter a devil, Cheryl. Wait a minute. Melissa, in one verse, he just called me a rock. Now he's calling me the devil. And you know what? That's the church. A blind, blurred church. Because many of you can be a rock about this, but a devil about that. Right here in the same story, the rock and the devil are all in one person. Ain't that amazing? Peter's a rock about that, but devilish about that. And I know all of you don't understand what I'm saying. You're like, I don't know what he's saying. I, no. So I tell you what, you just keep looking forward with your little mask on, act like you're totally confused, and nobody will know that you have a controversy inside of you. Okay, just, just pretend. Because that's what we're good at doing. But if we truly look at this scripture, I came by to tell you today, yes, there is a problem in all of us. And that's what I've come by to tell you. We can be righteous about this and so wrong about that. One day we can be spiritual about this and so carnal about that. Don't look now, but the church is running around in a blurred state. How can we come in here? Praise the Lord, Pastor. God has been good to me this week. And we can be so right about that and so bright on Sunday, but we are so blind when we go home. We can get on this thing right here. We can text our friends and we can be so bright to our friends, but so blind to our family. We can encourage our homeboy, but we put down our kids and our wives. I don't know about you, but as a believer, I find that that's the most stressful place to live. I can't stand it. It, it bothers me when carnality gets the best of me. There was one time Randy was in my office and, and something that happened. I started pouring in tears and and, and I, I explained my tears. I said, I'm not crying over the situation that happened to me. I'm crying that it brought out the worst in me. You remember that? I hate feeling carnality. It, it, it sickens me to the point that my spirit grieves to the point that I weep. Because it's not my nature. It's not who I'm created to be. Are, are, are you hearing me? It's a stressful place to live. But here's what I got good news for you. We can come to the blind man and guess what we can find? Deborah, we can find the answer to the test through the blind man. Because the blind man gives us the answer key of how to get out of our blurredness. The blind man passed the second touch and the second test. Because if you're taking notes, the first thing that I want you to see is the courage of the blind man that's now blurred. Here he is in a crowd of churchgoers, if you will. The disciples, the ones that were hanging around with Jesus. And Mason, he said, you touched me, but you didn't fix me. You see the courage up smack dab in God's face and said, you touched me, but it didn't work. You touched me, but nothing changed. Jesus. Are you seeing it? The courage. 
And, and, and I love it because it's the only case in Scripture where the touch did not get the full and complete immediate results. Is it because Jesus couldn't do it? No! Jesus could heal him. We see he's walking in the crowd, don't even know who touched him. Heals her of her blood disease. Just from a touch. So why is it in this one case he allows us the deviation from the norm? I'm telling you why. Jesus is trying to reveal to us in this time the state of our blurredness. Could it be possible that in this time, in this moment, that we as a church are realizing we're stuck between two places? We have been living there for quite some time, but I believe God is unveiling to us that this is where you've been spending most of your life and this is where you're failing. You're not passing the second test to get my third touch. And here's what I'm finding is some of us have settled to live in the blur. We've settled there. We settled there and it sounds a little something like this. At least I'm not who I was. <laughs> I'm under construction. It's just the way that I am. Now, now, hear me clearly. If you say that, but you have a heart that pants after the water, so your soul thirsts after him. If you say that, but you have a heart to be better, then I understand the heart behind it. But what many Christians are using those phrases for is a justification to stay nasty. They're using it as an excuse not to go further with him. And can I say, if that's your mentality, then you absolutely kill your future. What do you mean, Pastor? If I take off my glasses, <laughs> I can see shapes. All y'all look like trees. Y'all are blurred. So if Keith were to give me a 22 and say, shoot a mosquito off of Carrie's shoulder, he wouldn't want me to do it with my glasses off. And since I am one-eyed Willie and Deadshot Charlie, I can shoot that mosquito off of her shoulder with a 22 with my glasses on. But you dare not want me to do it from a blurred place. And what I'm trying to tell you is the church has been blurred for so long that we've made excuses for our blurredness, justified our blurredness, because we're comfortable in our blurredness, and a lot of Christians are making decisions from a blurred state. And that's why Christians get a divorce. Because they're making the decision from a blurred state. That's why Christians mess up when they marry the wrong person. They got a decision from a blurred stage. That's why a lot of Christians are posting goofy, stupid stuff on Facebook because they're posting from a blurred stage. Don't make devilish decisions in a blurred place. So the cure for our blindness, number one, come courageously to Jesus and say, you brought me out of the world, but Jesus, you didn't fix me. And then number two, be honest and humble. Because that's what the blind man was. He was honest with Jesus. He didn't walk around the disciples going, yeah, I can see. Everything's brighter now. I am a full-blown Christian, saved and sanctified, filled with the Holy Whoa, Ghost. I can see, I promise. No, he was honest. It wasn't his faith that healed him. It was his honesty. It was his courage. It was his humbleness of looking at Jesus and saying, I'm better but not brighter. I want to go further. I was blind. You brought me out. I held on to you. I passed that test. 
You touch me, I'm blurred. I, I like it, at least I can see some light, but I want to see the fullness of your glory, the fullness of your word. Touch me again! So what the devil's convinced churchgoers is not to be honest. Keep them fooled. Especially in a small town, we want to keep them full because Lord knows if they knew our secrets. <laughs> but the Bible says if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. The Bible says if you get off your high horse, there will be a horse in glory that you're going to be riding back. Amen? So get off your high horse now to where you can get on the horse. Amen? Because I am convinced a blurred church must admit, I can see, but not as good as I like. And that's when God turns his ear to a church and says, I'll touch a church that's honest. I'll touch a church that is courageous. I'll touch a church that is humble. You don't believe me? He seeks those that worship him in spirit and in truth. Because of his honesty. He didn't try to impress the people. He humbled himself. He didn't mind getting at the altar of the feet of Jesus. I don't care what nobody says. Touch me again, I can't see. We, so, we fear this. We don't want nobody to see that we got a problem. I got to go get touched again. Are you hearing me? Even in the crowd, he told the truth. He admitted, I ain't got it all together. And guess what? At that point, the third touch came. Jesus touched him again and gave him a brighter day. And that's what the church needs, a brighter day. I don't know who I'm preaching to. But the Lord told me to tell you, if you will come clean, if you will humble yourself, that he'll give you a brighter day. This is ministered to you. Just shout out, I want it couple of you because some of us settle into that blurred place and we're okay there those of you that are on Facebook that want to go further go ahead and type in I want it because I'm telling you one more touch will do some of you are one touch away from that yoke to break off your life one touch away for your soul to be healed to drop that alcohol one touch away but you got to go further. One touch away, and that attitude will change. Just one touch, and your blurredness can turn to brightness. Facebook, you're one touch away from getting the full glory of God. Facebook, we're going to leave you there. I I'm going to talk intimately a little bit further with the family. But if you need Jesus, and you need that touch, comment either way. I want to give my life to Jesus or comment I want another touch. After we tune you out and turn you off, make sure you go to the giving avenues to, to give to the church. We, we appreciate your faithfulness. And to you and to this church, y'all have been faithful like never before. We are in awe by what God is doing through you in your giving to keep this church the bright church in this community. Facebook, we love you. We'll see you next week. Y'all may ask, why, why do you do that, Pastor? You got to come back to get the meat. Come on back to get the ending. <laughs> it's just my way of...